Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. I, I think that I am probably one of the most blessed humans on the planet because uh, when, when, when I discovered that the name George means farmer, I was, I was depressed because I was an idiot. And uh, I, was, I was like, God, you know, why couldn't I have an awesome name that meant something awesome? My whole life, Jürgen the Gherkin, Yogurt, Yoplait, Jerk, they would call me all kinds of names. And, and then I find out that Jürgen just means farmer. I'm like, boring. And, uh, and then God had to say, do you know, even know what a farmer does? I'm like, I don't care. Like fixes tractors, I don't know. And he says, no, no, farmers sow seed, bring in harvest. I'm like, what? And uh, when I, you know, when I look, when I looked on this stage and I saw the beautiful Valdezes, and I remember when they first came to our church to see them leading and flourishing, to see Jaden's voice and to hear it on our album. When, when, when we just had three days of the most, like I, I can't even express in words. I can't even express in words what, what, what impact. I, I got saved two or three times at, at Pathfinders Conference. For real, for real. When, when John Rulin did his session on, I'm like, oh, dear God. I, said, I leaned over to Colin and said, Colin, I'm not even saved. I know I'm next, but when I get up, I'm going to get saved, and then I'm going to preach. And it was that good. It was honestly, it was that good. Why are you looking at me like that? I'm telling you, you want a saved pastor? You know what an unsaved pastor getting up here today? And, uh, but it, what was amazing is I'm, I'm looking on the platform, Colin Higginbottom, when he, when he preached on Thursday, it, we sent a pastor to, to Boise, Idaho, uh, a, a, an apostolic prophetic voice came back. He was under a heavy gift. And then I'm telling you, the thing that I was so proud of was seeing that, you know, when, usually when, when, you know, a big leader goes, there's a deficit. There was no deficit. There was no deficit. In Australia, we have rainforests and quite often, you know, Maybe once every decade, we get these horrendous lightning storms that will hit the rainforest and, and they'll hit the tallest tree and the tallest tree will die and fall. But around it, four or five trees that were starved of sunlight because of the big tree, when the big tree, these ones grow up in their place. And, uh, and when I saw Pastor Marco and Pastor Natalie lead, I mean, they didn't just lead. They said, this year what we're doing is we're going to bring in worship. The God has given us a, a clear vision, a clear mandate. And the, the conference was at another level. So I just want to honor Pastor Marco, Pastor Natalie. I was talking to people this morning who were at Pathfinders. And I said, all right, tell me, what was your favorite session? What was your favorite session? And every single one of them said, Pastor Natalie Contreras. Every single one of them. One of them was someone on my team, so I fired them. I said, you know, I preach as well, right? And uh, so if you see them minister to them, they're a little bit broke, brokenhearted on, on that. But other than that, I was like celebrating. No, I was celebrating the whole time. I didn't fire anybody. I just gave them a written warning. No, I didn't give them a written warning. But I got to tell you, Natalie Contreras, she's going to preach. Are you going to preach that message? She's going to preach that message at the 12th. It is. If you miss Pathfinder, it is worth staying for. 
the perfect storm shut the gate. Oh, I'm not going to preach it, but it was ridiculous. And then uh, I don't know if there's a, a kinder, lovelier human than Pastor Becky Lynn Heinrichs. She is, she is, I could not be more proud of her. She comes up on my YouTube feed under the Awakened Church banner. She is one of the greatest preachers, one of the greatest leaders, one of the greatest ministers, one of the greatest pastors. She is a phenomenal pastor. She is not afraid to have difficult conversations. And let me just say this, the reason that we do Pathfinders, the reason we do Pathfinders, the reason we do Cherish, the reason we do Emerge is because many, many years ago, I was kind of just caught up in the, 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 the current of, oh, the church's job is to get people saved. The church's job is to get people saved. And, and that's what I thought the church's job was. And I remember in our third year, we were at Carmel Valley Middle School. Anybody remember Carmel Valley Middle School? Okay, a few. Come on. Come on, OGs. And, uh, come on, and, 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 and we crossed. We had 507. It was three years in, Ben, 507. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, who do I call? Do I call Pastor Phil? I'm going to call Pastor Phil. No, no, maybe I should call Pastor Christian, you know, who was my best friend at that time. Or do I call my brother-in-law, Pastor Ang? I'm going to call somebody and say, this is, this is, this is a great. And, I'm, I'm, and, and the light's red, and I'm waiting for it to go green. I'm going to turn on the 56 freeway, Carmel Creek. I'm like, this is. And then the Holy Spirit says, just a crowd. And I'm like, Holy Spirit, you just, well, you can't be jealous of your people. And I'm like, what, what do you mean just a crowd? He goes, well, how many of them are disciples? I'm like, does, does that even matter? He's like, yeah, kind of. Like the Great Commission is going to all the world and make disciples. I'm like, but I'm patting myself on the back because we had a great crowd and, and people got saved. It's like, well, you didn't save them. I said, well, what do you mean I didn't save them? He goes, you can't save anybody. I do the saving. I ask you to do the discipling. Now, here's the thing. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Most churches love the souls. We've got to see souls, 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 and kind of uh, uh, discipleship light is because to disciple you, disciple is to develop you. Discipleship is to, to literally uh, empower you, to set you on course for greatness. But to do that, to do that, Great discipleship means we've got to identify the things that are limiting your growth, that are blocking your growth, that are hindering your growth. Some rocks, some logs, some, some roots, some, some weeds that are growing. And it's amazing how many people get precious with their weeds. I go, well, you got weeds. You got it. And it's like, whoa, 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 we're just trying to help you here. We're going to find a different church. And knock yourself out. You can find a different church. However, you'll live under a ceiling. The most difficult conversations in my life, each and every single time, I've had to humble myself. That's amazing. It's almost, I, I wish God wrote a scripture in there that says that he exalts the humble but resists the proud. Oh, hang on, he did. And so, <laughs> humility is the ability to lean in, let somebody who loves you remove the rocks, remove the impediments, remove the hindrances to your growth. So that's why we are unapologetically a discipleship church, a development church, an empowerment church, because you didn't just get saved to warm a pew. You didn't just get saved to cheer on the pastors. You got saved to unlock your destiny, unlock your assignment. Somebody say amen. So this morning in the, the overflow of the Pathfinders Conference, the title of my message is The Original Pathfinder. The Original Pathfinder. 
Pathfinder. And Quacha, I need to apologize because when I wrote it, it seemed like brilliant. Oh my gosh, this is the original Pathfinder. And then as I was driving to church, God says, well, actually, what about Abraham? I'm like, oh shoot, Abraham was the original. And God's like, actually, even before Abraham, I was here. I'm like, oh my gosh, when man sinned, you were the pathfinder that found a path back to life. And I'm like, oh, so in the New Testament, in the New Testament, <laughs> in the New Testament, the original pathfinder. Come with me, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Oh, you gotta love it. Maybe I should consult the Holy Ghost a little deeper when I'm preparing. I won't get it so wrong. All right, in the New Testament. All right, here we go. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up testing him and tested him saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Like, oh, it's just something you can do. Eternal life is such a sin. You just got to do something. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, tell me what's written in the law. What is your, what is your reading? What is your understanding of it? And he said, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, the truth is he'd been listening to Jesus. Jesus was the first one. He's the only one ever recorded to have said, this is, this is how you fulfill the Ten Commandments, the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So this guy's really kind of quoting Jesus back to Jesus. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. You've answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who, in other words, he's saying, okay, okay, I can, I can love the Lord your God, all right? I think I can do that, heart, mind, soul, and strength, and I can love my neighbor as myself, but I just need to know where, where, where do, where's the boundary? Where's the border? Like, where's the, where, 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 where does my responsibility extend to and where does it end? Where am I no longer responsible for, you know, and like, because like the neighbor next door, all right, all right, I can love him, but that jack wagon across, I ain't, I ain't, no, no, he's, he, you know, and so, and so he's asking. So Jesus says, tells a story. He says, well, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion." So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he sent him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, six months' wages, two denarii, six months' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, if you've got to, you know, set his leg or do a blood transfusion, whatever medical expenses, when I come again, I will repay you. Put it on my account. So which of these three do you think was, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him, then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Now, I'm not sure if you noticed, but Jesus did a flip. Because this man said, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, you're the neighbor. 
you are the neighbor. Jesus says, which one do you think was neighbor to the one? This guy was saying, hey, do I need to take responsibility for that? And Jesus says, you're the neighbor responsible for everything that comes into your path. Ouch. Three quick points. Now, listen, I, I need to warn you. I warned the 830 service and I need to warn you. Um, if you've had a religious upbringing, if you're here with a, a little bit of a religious mindset, you're not going to like this message. <laughs> you're going to feel very, very uncomfortable. It's going to mess with your, it's, it, you're going to get some head wrecking moments. So just strap, strap your seatbelt in because you're going to want to get up and you weren't going to want to. And you're going to want, so just strap your seatbelt in now. All right, point number one. Point number one, make more than you need. Pathfinders make more than what they need. Most Christians can't afford to be a Christian. I love saying that. Most, Jesus said, this is what a Christian looks like. He says, go and do likewise and you will live. How many Christians do you know can find a complete stranger, beaten up, bleeding, take them to a hospital, check them in. Hey, it's all right that they don't have insurance. I do. I will pay their medical bills. And then not only pay for the immediate care, but anything else, any operation or anything that they need, put it on my, most Christians can't afford to be a Christian. And the reason they can't afford to be a Christian is because the devil sold Christians this lie. He sold them this lie that you should live for just enough for you. I remember one of my earliest arguments was with a youth pastor when I lived in Sydney. And in Australia, as pastors, we... We have certain tax exemptions. We have tax exemptions here in America, but those tax exemptions uh, lean, leaned over into the world of uh, vehicle because uh, Australia really was settled by convicts and they realized that when the convicts um, convicted criminals, when they finished their time, King George didn't want to pay a ship fare to bring them back. He, why would I bring criminals back to England? Let's just leave them down there. But then they realized if they didn't uh, send pastors, if they didn't send ministers, if they didn't send the gospel down there, these people would, you know, fight, kill and murder one another. And they had all these outlaws and robberies and everything else. So they literally said, we've got to send as many missionaries, as many ministers down there. And so there was a number of things in the forming of the Australian government where we look after ministers. And so they were provided horses so they could travel to so the transportation. So to this day, um, as as pastors, we, we would do, uh, we never bought cars we we would lease cars and uh we would do these fleet leases as a church where uh you we literally got i think it was like um uh 50 the car was like 52% of whatever the sticker value was. So if, if it was $50,000 on the sticker value, we could lease that car as though it was 27000 So that meant your payments were less than if you were to buy a car. So so I remember um, we had a, I had a new Ford Fairlane and it was, uh, I think it was like, um, like, $380 a month like it was it was lower than if if we were to get a loan on a, on you know a, a second hand car and but I remember sitting with this other youth pastor and he was all indignant he's like I can't believe you're driving a new car because that's the problem with your church 
I said, what do you, you guys preach that prosperity gospel. I'm like, oh, flip, I didn't even know there was a prosperity gospel. Because I don't know what you do, you're driving a new car and there are people starving in third world nations. I'm driving a new car and there are people starving in third world nations. And I'm like, dear Jesus. And then, I, and then the Holy Ghost goes, yeah, you know, like you used to drive a bummy car. You know, he had, this, he had this bummy Toyota and I used to drive this bummy Nissan, you know, with rust holes in it and one wheel that looked like it was going to come off on the freeway. And the Holy Spirit said to me, when you were driving a bummy car, were there still people starving? In th- has this only changed? Has this only, like when you got out of that car, did it all of a sudden? And I said to him, this is going to sound crazy, but I've got a feeling that the people starving in Ethiopia probably has nothing to do with the car I drive. Like if I switch this car and buy a bomby car, do you really think that the people in Ethiopia, <sighs> oh, this is, a, this is a great day. Today I'm going to sleep. Today I sleep like a baby because Pastor Jürgen has changed his car. He no longer drives a new car. He now has a bomby car. Tonight my belly is full. Do you really think that happened? It doesn't happen. It's got nothing to do with and so, so he says, well, well, you should only make enough. I said, you should only make enough. You should only make enough for yourself. I said, honestly, I said, if I, if I was Lucifer and I was trying to give the church a lie, I would tell each and every person, you should make only enough for yourself. The most selfish, miserable, the rich young ruler came and said, what must I do that I, I, that I may inter- that I may have, that I, I, I have kept, or I, I, the most miserable life you can live is one that is all just about you. God wants you to live a life that is larger than yourself. He wants you to live a life that is larger than yourself. Now, you know, I realize it's, it's uncomfortable and people have already unstrapped their seatbelts, but let me just double down for you. Is God, is God in the Bible a just enough God? Like when God healed blind Bartimaeus, you know, and people said to blind Bartimaeus, oh my gosh, look at those red roses. Well, I, uh, I just see everything in black and white. But I'm just grateful to be able to see when God gave blind Bartimaeus vision, he didn't give him black and white. He gave him full 4K UHD. He gave him color. He gave him high definition color sign. God does nothing. When Jesus first called the disciples, first called Luke chapter five, five chapters earlier than this one. The Bible says that the, the, the disciples were well, this is before they were disciples. They were just fishermen. They're washing their nets, washing their nets. And the Bible says Jesus has a crowd following him. And he walks and he sees two boats. And he gets into one of them, which was Simon Peter's. And he says, you know, row me out. And, you know, and they're washing their nets. And all of a sudden, they look over and hey, Pete, dude. Or Simon, dude, there's someone in your boat. And so Simon walks over and Jesus like, row me out. Like he owns the thing. <laughs> Because he does. And so, so next minute, Peter's sitting down and he's rowing out. And the guys on the beach are like, the heck are you? And the Bible says, and Jesus began to teach in the crowd. And it's like an amphitheater because he's, you know, his water is amplified. Uh, his voice is amplified across the water. And, and when he finished, when he finished, he doesn't shortchange Peter. He says, you know, Peter, for, for the hour that I've just used your boat, he says, launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. And Simon Peter says, Lord, Master, we've toiled all night, caught nothing. We're experienced fishermen. All night we fished and we've come up empty. 
We've got nothing to show for our labor and toil all night. He says, but nevertheless, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Despondency was in his heart until he sat under. You're the smartest people in San Diego because you've come to church. Can I tell you the best time to come to church is when you're disappointed. The best time to come to church is when you feel despondent, when you feel discouraged, when you feel empty, when it feels hopeless. They toiled all night and caught nothing. And he's sitting in a boat listening to Jesus teach. The Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But Peter, Jesus says, I want you to launch down to the deep, let down your nets. Peter says, I'm not at nets yet. He says, we've, we've toiled all night, caught nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll let down a net because we just finished cleaning. And I just, I just, in my head is still, I can't. So, so I don't want to be cleaning three nets. So I'm going to throw in one net because I don't mind having to re-clean one net, but I can't do. And so he throws in a net. The Bible says when he throws in the net, so many fish flooded the net. The net began to break and was hemorrhaging fish. And so he had to signal to his partner in the other boat. And this is what the Bible says. He signals to his partner in the other boat because of how many fish were in a net that was breaking hemorrhaging fish. This is what the Bible doesn't say. Let me tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say when they pulled the last fish out of the net and placed it in the two boats, the fish buoyancy ratio was in no way violated. That's not what it says. It says, and when they, when they pulled the fish out, both the boats began to sink with one. Jesus said nets. They just threw in net. The one net broke. It was hemorrhaging fish. Both boats began to sink because of the miraculous catch. Why? Because God was trying to show them he is not a just enough God. He's the exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. Let me help you. What was the first miracle Jesus did? Turn water into wine. Turn water into wine. There's a wedding. There's a wedding, wedding in Cana. And they've run out of wine. And Mary comes and says they've run out of wine. Jesus says, you know, he's sitting with the, with the 12. He's like, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? It's not my time. And she says, what did, what did, what did you just call me? Oh, yesterday I was mama, but today you're with your disciples. All of a sudden I'm woman. Oh, yeah, you're starting today. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. And so... I mean, read it for yourself. I think that's how it went down. And so the Bible says Jesus looks over and he sees six washpots. He sees six washpots. They hold about 30 gallons apiece. And he says, fill all six to the brim. Six thirties is 180. That's 180 gallons. He says, now take some and give it to the sommelier. Take it to the master of the feast. And so he's like, what's this? They didn't want to tell him it's water from a wash pot and he, it's like my god and they're like oh. wow normally at weddings people bring out the good wine in the beginning and once everybody's drunk they bring out the inferior but not you my god you've saved the best wine for last 180 gallons is 1600 bottles 1,600 bottles that would literally, that would literally, unless there was 8,000 people present, which there wasn't at a wedding, what was Jesus doing? They don't need 
180 gallons of the best wine. I know, but he did it. <laughs> Let me tell you what Jesus wasn't saying was, right, shut the doors. No one's leaving till you're all sloshed. That's not what Jesus was saying. <laughs> Jesus was not saying that. So what, what was Jesus saying? Jesus was trying to break mindsets. They had an immediate problem. They had an immediate problem. The groom who was responsible was now going to be under shame because it was his responsibility to make sure there was enough wine for the celebration, for the feast, and for the toast. He had abdicated his responsibility. Not only did Jesus cover his shame, which he did for you and me on the cross before we throw stones, that's what Jesus did on the cross, but Jesus, see, because we, 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 we so think myopically. Jesus wasn't just saving the moment. Jesus was saving and setting up a life. Do you know what 1,600 bottles of the finest wine costs? Wow. Do you know what its numeric financial value is? On the low end, it's about 250000 if you were to sell it all at discount. On a high end, it could be anywhere from 800000 to a million dollars for 1,600 bottles of the finest wine. Jesus didn't just save the wedding. Jesus was setting them up. They could sell that wine and have not only a down payment on a home, but probably buy a home cash. We think so small. We think so myopically. God never does. He does exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. I love you. Look at you. You're you're catching this. Let, Let me show you another one. The only miracle that's in all four Gospels that Jesus did wasn't walking on water, wasn't raising Lazarus from the dead, wasn't opening the eyes of of blind Bartimaeus. The only miracle that Jesus did that's in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, and in John is where Jesus fed the 5,000. He fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Five loaves, two fish. Why is that miracle in all four? Why did Matthew put it in there? Mark said, I've got to put it in there. Luke, the doctor, said, I'm putting it in there. And then John, John, what are you doing? We've got it. Write something else. No, I'm writing it. And so, oh. so John had to write it as well. It's all in all four. Why? 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 Because it is a snapshot of this life. It is a snapshot of this life. How so? Well, watch this. Jesus has 5,000 men. They didn't include the women and children. Some people say it could be as low as 12,000, as high as maybe 18, 20,000, but 5,000 men plus women plus children in front of him. With him, he has five loaves and two fish. 5,000 men plus women and children, five loaves, two fish. The crowd or the disciples come and say, Lord, send the crowd away. The disciples come and say, hey, Lord, uh, We've only got five loaves and two fish. What are they among so many? Dismiss the crowd, send them away so that they can go into the countryside and buy food for themselves. Jesus, no, 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 you feed them. They're like, we can't, we've got five loaves and two fish. He says, sit them down in groups of 50. Most people want to diminish the vision before us to the provision that is with us. Your biggest battle in this life When God speaks to you, he'll give you a vision in front of you that will always be. It will always be greater than the resources with you. When we landed here in San Diego, I was happy to have one church in one location. And then God says, here's your vision, a baseball diamond. I'm like, you want me me to get involved in chaplaincy for the Padres? It's like, no, you, oh, is this... 
he's the one, okay, all right. No, um, no, no, it's one church, four locations. That sounds expensive. How am I gonna? But there's a thing called provision. Provision is provision. It follows the vision. If you lower the vision, you lower the provision. So Jesus says, we ain't dismissing what's in front of me because of what's limited with me. We're going to keep what's in front of us. I'm not lowering the vision or the mission or the assignment. Sit them in groups of 50. And then Bible says Jesus took the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven. He didn't look out at the need. He didn't look down at the lack. Oh, woe is me if only I had. How can God ask me to do it? He, he looks up to heaven and the first thing he does is he gives thanks. He gives thanks. The word gives thanks in the Greek is eulageo. I asked Pastor Mark Contreras, Marco Contreras, what does eulageo mean? He says it's a eugugalizer, one who speaks at funerals. I'm not sure if that's true, Pastor Marco. Why would you say that? I can't believe you said that. It's from, it's from Zoolander. I'm so sorry. Are you Googleizer, one who speaks at funerals? And so anyway, it's, it's where we get the word eulogy. The word eulogy means to speak well of. Eulogy means to speak well of. Jesus has five loaves. Do you know how many people curse what they don't have? Curse the fact that the bank won't give me a loan. Curse the fact that I do not lower the vision in front of you. So watch this. So, so Jesus looks up to heaven, blessed, broke, and then distributed. And the Bible says that the, the people kept coming, kept coming, and they're breaking the bread. The disciples are breaking the bread and the fish. And people kept coming, kept coming, kept coming, kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. And they're looking, and they kept coming, kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. And the Bible says that everybody ate and were all, were all satisfied. Some of them, you know, already having the, the, the little, the little post-carb nap. And then Jesus looks at the disciples and the disciples are like, man, it was crazy. People kept coming and just kept, kept multiplying. It was crazy. And Jesus says this. He goes, now go and collect the baskets of leftovers. <laughs> They're like leftovers. Are you kidding me? We had 5,000 men plus women plus children with only five loaves and two fish and you're talking about leftovers? Jesus like, whoa, 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 guys, guys, guys. Can five loaves and two fish feed that many people? Uh, impossible. Did it just happen? Uh-huh. So that means Papa was involved. That means Abba was involved. So I'm going to teach you something. When Abba is involved, his signature, when, when, when an artist paints something, they put their signature on their art piece. You're going to see the signature of God. You're going to see the DNA of God because everything God does has his imprint in it. He says, go and collect the basketfuls of leftovers. The Bible says they went and they collected and they filled 12 basketfuls of the leftover fragments of the bread and the fish. Here's the kicker. One basket. One basket wouldn't be filled with the five loaves and two fish. 5,000 men plus women plus children ate and were satisfied and there was so much leftovers that it filled 12 basketfuls. How many disciples were there? Coincidence? No. 
12 disciples because the next town, when you read the Bible, which we encourage, the next town is about three and a half miles away. Guess each disciple had to carry a basket that got a little bit heavy. (laughs) Jesus, can we take a break? And the whole time it's messing with their heads because the basket is filled with fish and bread that shouldn't be there. And it's saying to them, explain how I'm here. I'm heavy, aren't I? You don't even believe that I exist. But can you feel the weight? Yeah. Because God does exceedingly abundantly. He didn't just feed the 5,000. He's an overflow God. David says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup, my cup runs over. Why does the cup run over? Because it's not about you. Your cup runs over because there are people with empty cups around you. And your cup is meant to overflow so you can fill other people's cups. Hey, come, bring your empty cup, bring your cup, because my cup overflows. The Bible says that you are blessed to be a blessing. Where does it say that? Galatians 3.13. Galatians 3.13 says that Jesus became a curse to redeem, buy back those who are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is any man that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham may come upon you. I need you to understand Jesus fulfilled his mission. He fulfilled his assignment. On the cross, he became a curse. Cursed is any man that hangeth on a tree. The reason he was on the cross was to break the curse. The curse was broken. So blessing, the blessing of Abraham, the blessing of Abraham is you shall be blessed to be a blessing. It's not you shall be blessed to hoard it. You shall be blessed to be a conduit of my my grace, my goodness, my overflow. Just break contract with the poverty mindset that a religious spirit will try and put on you. Man, I've completely butchered this message because I'm only at point two. And we've got three minutes left. Oh, you're not going to like number two. Can I change it? I need to change it. No, it's painful. All right. No, Pastor Quatcha says I can't change it. Right, number two, pay the price to see pain and solution. Pathfinders pay the price to see pain in our planet. If you don't see the pain, you can't ever see the solution. I love, I love the scene in The Matrix where where Cypher is, decides he's, he's going to betray Neo. He's going to betray Morpheus. And he sits down with Agent Smith and they're at this, you know, fine dining steak place and he's, and he's got his steak and he's cut this, this, you know, kind of beautiful piece of ribeye, medium rare. And it's like, you know, I know, I know this isn't real. I know this, this doesn't really exist. Mm. Mm. Ignorance is bliss. And he picks up the, the wine. He says, I, when you put me in, back into the matrix, I, I want to be somebody important, somebody, star, whatever you want. Just give us Neo. Oh, no, that wasn't the deal. Morpheus was the deal. Whatever you want. Ignorance is, it's amazing how many people live in ignorance, never looking. And don't beat yourself up. Jonah, who has a a book named after him in the Bible, 
was the original guy who, la, 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 la. He didn't want to. He hated the Ninevites. He hated them. And God says, you're going to go to Nineveh. I'm not going to Nineveh and preaching to them. I want them all to burn in. He hated the Ninevites. The Ninevites were, were, were wicked people. They were Assyrians. When Assyrians would capture land from Israel, they would take all the young men out and they would behead them. From, from four years old, um, they would behead the young men and they would pile their skulls in the four corners of the, whatever territory they took as a demarcation to say, we have conquered and we have wiped out the future. We are, we are, we are the ones controlling the future. He hated the Ninevites. And God says, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to that great city. He didn't want to look at the pain of his planet. But pathfinders look at the pain of the planet. I was telling everybody how when I first moved here, I loved Starbucks. Starbucks was my office. Because... Back then, it was $3.45 for a coffee. And that one coffee would last me three meetings. So that was like literally $1.15 an hour. That's the cheapest office rent, I'm telling you, in San Diego. I, I would feel guilty. I'm feeling like as I, get, as I leave today, they're going to arrest me. For, you know, that's what I thought. And so I remember this, this one time, you know, I had like three meetings in a row and coffee and water, coffee. And, and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, oh. Oh, and yeah, and the person's yeah, and then my great grandmother, and you know, and her cousin, her cousin, and I'm like, oh no, don't think of water, don't think of water, don't think of water, don't think of water, don't go chasing waterfalls. Different song, get a different song for crying out. And and I'm trying not to think of, I'm thinking parched desert, parched desert, finish. And then you know, you rush to the bathroom. Just as you get to the bathroom, the door closes. Someone got in before you, and you're like, oh my god, oh this is, oh dear, oh oh. And you, know, and you know when it's painful, it's like, ah! And, and so anyway, so finally the door opens and you rush on in. And I rush on in and there's like, what is that? There's like urine all over the seat and on the floor and there's like papers and, and it's like disgusting. And, you know, and I'm like, oh man, I'm, when I, when I, I'm going to tell, somebody needs to clean this up. Somebody, this is, there's a pigsty in here. Somebody. And God says, you're a somebody. I'm like, Oh, Holy Spirit, do you know how unhygienic it is to clean up other people's? Yeah, yeah. And the Holy Spirit said to me, oh, if you can't clean up people's waste and people's mess, how are you going to clean up the sin of a city? I'm like, oh, dear God. So the truth is, I cleaned everything. And then I felt like God said, this needs to be your new normal. And the truth is, it is adv ad advantageous, Alana, because nobody knows that the mess was there before you got there. Nobody knows. I don't go, oh my gosh, it's a pigsty. And when I walk out, people go, hey, that's the pastor. Oh, dear God. Hey, don't go to that pastor's church. That guy's a pig. Look at it. <clears throat> so it, is, it, does, it does have a, you know, a benefit. The priest is walking along the road and he sees the guy who's beat up, naked and bleeding. And the, the priest does this, crosses the street, pretends he doesn't see and just walks on by. 
The priest was the one that God anointed and appointed to take care of the lost, the hurting and the broken. But he doesn't want to get his hands dirty because if he touches somebody who's bleeding, he is unclean for 24 hours and has to go through a ceremonial cleansing ritual in order to, to no longer be unclean. And he's like, that guy's not worth the effort that I have to do. So I'm going to... So then a Levite comes. The Levites were God's chosen people to minister to the hurting and the broken. They were God's ministers. And he he does the same thing, crosses over and refuses to look at the guy. And then a Samaritan. And people, when Jesus says the Samaritan, like, oh man, come on, yeah, get you throw down on them Samaritans. What does he do? He stomp on the guy? What does he do? And Jesus, the Samaritan, stops and pours on oil and wine and puts him on his donkey and takes it. That was like messed up. The Samaritan, when he saw in his path, when he saw brokenness, he realized, he realized that he has a mission and an assignment to take care. Somebody had to do something. He realized he's a somebody. Can I tell you that obedience and convenience don't go together? Do you know how many times God has spoken to this extraordinary woman of God on the front row, Pastor Becky Lynn Heinrichs, where she's in line and God says, pay for this woman's groceries by this woman's shoes. She would share the stories crying with me because they were in a financial storm themselves. And God wasn't trying to get something from her. He was trying to get something to her. The reason God has trusted this girl with probably uh, the, the campus that has grown all the other campuses, this one in Bejo is because when he spoke in her need and lack to look after somebody else's need and lack, she didn't say, God, that's not convenient. Somebody else needs to do it. She said, here I am, Lord, send me, I will go. Last point, number three. Number three. Number three is carry both mandate and mission. Pathfinders carry both mandate and mission. I want you to see what it says. It says, in verse 35, it says, on the next day, on the next day, the Samaritan comes to the master, the, the innkeeper, and he says, listen, um, when I return, here's two denarii, here's six months wages. When I return, if, if there's any outstanding medical bills, I got it. I'll sign for it now. Most people say, well, hang on, hang on well, what do you mean when you return? Well, it's like, well, like, this is not my assignment. I've taken responsibility, but, but, but my, I have a mandate in the marketplace. I have a mandate and a mission. Like I'm, I'm, I've, I've got a purpose in my life. Now, I, I have a purpose with compassion, but my purpose isn't to, to leave, to abdicate my mission and my assignment for... It's amazing how many people in the church were bought, bought the lie of the devil that it's, you know, it's all about the broken, it's all about the lost, it's all about that... You can't minister to those people if you become like them. When you're on an airplane, should we lose cabin pressure? An oxygen mask will fall from the compartment above your head. Please, if you're traveling with children, put your own mask on first. What? Hang, what are you saying? Let the kids fend for themselves? No, because if you're trying to put their mask on and you pass out, everybody pass. Everybody passes away. You got to get oxygen on for yourself. And now once you, you can now help other people. 
you are called to have a marketplace impact, a marketplace influence. You are called to have a mandate and a mission. But then God says, I'm going to put people in your path. And because you're prosperous, because you're successful, you are able to bring them in and make them a part of your journey. Your destiny is beyond just these moments, but these moments punctuate the great destiny and purpose that I have for your life. You're meant to have mission and you're meant to have mandate. You're meant to walk with a purpose. Can somebody say amen? There's two worlds. The world of personal success. Can I just tell you, God will prosper you. God will bless you to be a blessing. You align your heart with God when you realize, my God, I am blessed to be a blessing. People that other people have stepped over, other I can be in a position to bless. I can be in a position to minister. I can be in a position to pour out. I can be in a, in a position to take care of. That's the God assignment for your life. That's why we do Pathfinders. That's why this story is in the Bible because he's the original Pathfinder. Come on, let's stand to our feet. I'm over time. I'm over time. I want you to lift your hands to heaven. I'm so proud of you. I think we only had one, one family leave, which is awesome. No, it's good. Like, my batting average is going up. <laughs> Normally, it's a heck of a lot more than that. But we don't mind. Some people, they're just not ready yet. And some people, they, they, they want us to just, you know, be a, a religious institution. I, I refuse. And what we mean by that is religion comes from the, the Latin regale, which means where we get the word regulations. Religion loves what must I do that I may inherit? What must I? And it's all legalism and law. And it's a, a terrible substitute for the authentic. God didn't die on a cross to start a new religion. Jesus died on a cross to repair a severed relationship so that you can reconnect. Jesus says, I am the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me, if you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. Sin cut us off from God. So we didn't produce fruit. We didn't produce life. We produced death. But through Christ, we can be grafted in, the Bible says again, into the vine so that the life of God flows through you. If you're not born again, friend, you need to be born again. Well, I'm really religious. Awesome. But it's no substitute. You gotta get crafted into the vine. You gotta get reconnected to God. That's why Jesus hung on the cross. He hung on the cross in this posture. Of all the statements God could make to humanity, the God whose laws, His Ten Commandments, disqualify us from eternal life. The Pharisees were so brilliant at He eats with tax collectors and sinners. How could this man be a man of God? If he was a prophet, he would know what manner this woman is a harlot. She's a prophet. They knew all about who was disqualified and eliminated. And yet, when God Himself came and hung on a cross, He did not hang on a cross in this position. He didn't hang on a cross in this position he hung on a cross in that whosoever would come to him he would when I would travel and I would come home and my boys were little I'd open the door and they'd be daddy's home first thing I did drop my suitcases and I went straight into they would come running up and jump up and daddy would hug and kiss, I miss you, I miss you. And then they'd say those three words. 
Those three words. No, not I love you. Where's my present? Those little punks. I'm still battling with my parenting, I know. This posture. Come on, would you lift your hands in this posture? Because they would stand in front of me and they'd lift their hands, Daddy, pick me up. When you lift your hands, you're saying, Abba, Father, Daddy, God, pick me up. Heavenly Father, I pray that not one person a day would leave here not reconnected to Jesus, not connected to the vine, not, not connected to the life flow of God again. We know that Jesus died on the cross not to eliminate but to reconnect and repair a severed relationship. I pray that every single one of our people would become pathfinders. They, they'd be the good Samaritans. That they, they make more than what they need because they live to a vision that is higher and greater than themselves. Father God, they walk with a mission and a mandate. Father, they have eyes to see the pain of a hurting planet and they do something about it. They realize they are a somebody. Bless each and every person. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.